0: So I have a question for you guys. Have you ever met a radical person? Someone who is truly a radical. Someone who lives their life just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Maybe they care about a movement or a cause or a system of beliefs more than you would consider normal. That causes them to have actions in their lives that might seem just a little bit extreme. I wonder what would you do this morning if I asked you to become a radical? Be upset. Somebody's upset. But no one's walking out yet, so I'm going to keep going. And I know some of you are worried that, oh man, Thomas just got ordained and now he's going to go off the deep end. And I promise I'm not going to go off the deep end too far. But the truth is, guys, the scripture that we're going to look at today, it's a little bit radical. And really the truth is that there's a lot of things in the scriptures that are a little bit radical. And so one of the things as we look at God's word, we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Um, And that's hard sometimes, but I think we can do it. And I think we can do it with God's help. Um, We are finishing up the Intentional Faith Sermon series today. We've been looking for a number of weeks at how we can incorporate practices into our lives that will allow us to intentionally grow towards Jesus. Not all at once. It's never the quick trip to the top. It's always a small incremental journey, little by little, step by step. And we're going to try to close it out today. uh, But we're going to try to close it out with some direction somewhere we can all grow towards and continue on this journey. We're going to look at a passage from Acts chapter 2, which is, Acts chapter 2 is the Pentecost story. Pastor Tom preached about that a couple weeks ago as we talked about inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives. Um, but the end of that chapter is this beautiful picture of the early church at its best. It's this this summary of how the church begins to live after the Holy Spirit comes. And I think for us, it's going to be a model that we can look at. It will both inspire us and and challenge us to be a little radical. And so as we get to looking at that story, uh, would you pray with me? We can prepare our hearts. So Lord Jesus, we invite you in to come and teach us right now. And as we look at your word, uh, show us what we need to see in our own lives. Give us next steps for ourselves. Give us the courage to follow you even into the less comfortable places. And continue to form us into your church that can be the kingdom of God on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read this scripture first and then we'll go back through it um, and try to take it apart a little bit. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church, you guys? When I read that, it gets me excited about what what church could be. Now, this, this passage is not trying to ignore the messier parts of church life. Every church has messes, right? And in the early church, uh, you just get like a couple more chapters into the book of Acts, and they start to have their own messes. It's not trying to deny that, but it is painting a picture of, of what it looked like at its best. And so this inspires me, and then it challenges me. And I want to go through some of the parts of this that are maybe a little more challenging, but inspiring at the same time. There's, some, there's some, a little bit of radical is happening in this passage. But right off the bat, we see that there is some radical commitment. And there's commitment to four things. One, first is the apostles' teaching. They're committed to the teaching of the, those 12 that Jesus chose to continue on his movement. Um, they are handing on the teachings of Jesus. And the apostles' teaching is really what will become the New Testament. So there's a radical commitment to the scriptures, the New Testament, to the teachings of Jesus. In addition to that, there's a radical commitment to the fellowship. And what this means is really the community of faith. We'll dig into that and see more about that in, in just a few verses. Third, there is a radical commitment to the breaking of the bread. And while most of us today, we might immediately think communion, and that's, that's not a bad uh, place for your mind to go, they probably did not just mean the ceremonial meal celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection in worship. They probably meant um, a larger and actual meal that, that was for you know, having nourishment, but that was specifically done with others for the sake of having community and fellowship with each other. And that's something that didn't just happen at church, but also happened in the home. And then we see that they're committed to the prayers, Now, the Jewish tradition was to have a prayer rhythm. There were traditional Jewish prayers that were prayed at different times of the day. And it seems like the early Christians continued to use those traditional Jewish prayers. And they would probably incorporate some of the Christian prayers, like like the Lord's Prayer, or maybe some early Christian hymns. But early on in the the church, it seems like there was um, a likelihood that a new Christian prayer rhythm was developed. And that was something they were radically committed to. All right, so they got those four things. That's, a, that's really good. But then we get to the next part where there are signs and wonders. It seems that there was a radical commitment to the work of the Holy Spirit, a radical openness, you could say, right? It takes a little bit of openness. One of the things I think is so cool about this is we see the Holy Spirit come very powerfully at Pentecost throughout the rest of the book of Acts the Holy Spirit continues to be at work powerfully. It's not just something that happens at the Pentecost gathering, but it continues in very powerful ways to be present in the community of faith and in people's lives. And so there's a radical openness to continuing to encountering the Holy Spirit. Then we get to the, I think this is maybe the hard part, the most radical part. They had a radical sense of togetherness They knew that if they were going to follow Jesus, they had to have the community of faith around them. All the believers were together, and and it seems like they spent a lot of time together. At this point in the life of the church, I don't think we had anyone walking around saying, well, it's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. I'm okay. Just, Just me and Jesus. I don't need anyone else. I don't think they really had the concept of a private, individualized faith. That's more of a modern notion that we struggle with, and I think this is a good correction for us. It reminds us that we really can't do this on our own. We need others. In addition to that radical togetherness, though, there is a radical generosity that was a key mark of the community of faith. This is really where it gets a little uncomfortable, I think, because that this is not just a little bit of generosity, you guys. This isn't just uh, seeing what, what kind of cash you may or may not have in your wallet to try to put in the offering plate. Um, it's not occasionally giving, um, you know, like, oh, this is about as much as a meal out. I'll just, I'll just give this instead. This is people seeing needs, and they go and they sell the extra home. They sell the family land. They get rid of possessions that they probably would have loved to have kept, but they felt compelled to put that towards a different cause. Now, if you're like me, you can come up with all the reasons why that is not a financially wise move, right? We can come up with all the excuses and convince ourselves that maybe maybe they were a little bit too radical. To to put you at ease, I don't don't think this scripture is telling telling everyone they need to go and sell things after church today um, or start to divest yourself so you can just give away everything. I do think what it's showing us is that the Holy Spirit seems to have been at work in the early church to move people out of their comfort zones to give even more they would normally be comfortable with. And so maybe something for us that uh, we should invite the Holy Spirit to move us out of our comfort zone, so that our generosity would not just be within the realm of comfortable, but maybe it would be a little bit outside that place where we're really comfortable, right? The radical generosity of the people of God. Then we see some radical rhythms, some daily rhythms of getting together at the temple, and a part of that was the prayer rhythms involved both some, some private prayer and some community prayer at the temple, but they don't just get together at the place of religious ritual. They don't just go to church and see each other. They spend time sharing meals in their homes. This is a part of the breaking of the bread uh, together. Um, it seems like they took their faith home. If we could use some one of our intentional faith uh, takeaways, and that not just took their faith home, they took their friends home to share a meal and to share their faith with their friends. Um, and then we see some some unique words that that say basically what was happening to them internally. That they had glad and sincere hearts. That glad is a it's a joyful, like an overflowing joy, and the sincere hearts. You know, there's some translations that say uh, simple hearts or generous hearts. I think the idea behind that, that word is that if, if they were most focused on having their hearts turned towards Jesus, that allowed them to be more open-handed with their possessions, and it allowed them to be more generous. So it seems like as they got together, God was using that togetherness to, to grow them and encourage them. That led to praise And when it says enjoying the favor of all the people, that word favor is also the word grace. Uh, It seems like they approached each other with a great deal of grace. So we could borrow some of our other intentional faith language. We could say that they really loved people, right? That they practiced that loving people in a radical way, forgiving one another. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were blessed in their community, but that blessing didn't stay contained. That blessing seemed to overflow, and, and maybe it was people looking at what they had and saying, oh my gosh, whatever Joe's got over there, I want that. And They'd go hang out with Joe, and Joe would welcome them in, um, or whatever the early Hebrew is for Joe. I don't know what that is, but maybe they were going and sharing that. Inviting people, being intentional to invite people over to their homes. They had a radical way of sharing their blessing with others. So there's a lot of radical stuff happening in this passage. A lot of radical stuff. Alan Jackson is the author of the book, Intentional Faith, which we've been using for this sermon series. Here's what he says about this passage. From the very beginning, Christ intended that changed lives would come together to form a different kind of community one that wasn't defined by some highly individualistic private philosophy of salvation. Instead, it was to be a community that was devoted and generous and took care of one another, a community of praise and a community that served as an example of the kingdom of God on earth. I love how he says that last part. It's a community that's really meant to be this picture of the kingdom of God on earth. And honestly, you guys, I think that's what attracts me to this passage so much, is I read this Acts 2 community, and there's something that resonates, because I think that is, that's the kingdom of God that I am yearning for, that we all want so badly. That's the new creation breaking in and being present now. There's some familiar language you might uh, have heard, you might have even said this today, about the kingdom coming into this world if you replace the your with the thy, it'll all click. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know those words. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It turns out this isn't just a prayer we're supposed to pray. This is also something we're supposed to live out as the church. That we're supposed to be a foreshadowing, a signpost that points to God's kingdom in the here and the now. And I think that's what this Acts 2 passage shows us. So if I was going to summarize Acts 2 community in one sentence, here's here's what I would say. I would say this, that God is calling us to step outside of our comfort zone to live a radically Jesus-oriented life. That's what I see throughout all the different radical practices in, in that passage that we read. It's that people have their lives radically oriented around and towards Jesus. They're letting their lives be turned over and changed and transformed, being blessed but also being a blessing to everybody else as Jesus was. So if this is an example for us, then this is really what we want to head towards. I think this is what our intentional faith practices are aiming towards. I think if we practice our intentional faith, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, um, it leads us to this radically Jesus-oriented life. Now, there's there's two main parts of this passage that I think uh, we have to understand to live into this fully. If we're going to live a radically Jesus-oriented life, we have to understand these two parts. The first one I've kind of already covered. It's that we have to be willing to be uncomfortable, to to be willing to be even just a little radical. And you know, honestly, whatever part of the passage, when we read it together, you looked at and thought, oh, I don't know about that, that's probably, that's probably a great place to start. So I don't know, maybe for some of you, it was the fact that they were uh, having daily rhythms uh, of prayer and scripture study, and maybe for you, that's still elusive and just, that's just hard, and, and you're not alone in that. I talk to a lot of people that struggle with that. Maybe that is a part of the getting out of our comfort zone, changing your rhythms and the amount of social media versus uh, encountering God in the day, right? Maybe for some of you, it's the uh, reliance on God's word, on the apostles' teachings, and letting something else be the higher authority that you submit your life to. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot more common in the world today to let ourselves be our own authority, to let the prevailing, sexual, the prevailing secular ethic be the thing that we just be okay with. Maybe there's some ways that God wants to challenge us to look at what, what God says, to look at how God wants to be our authority and how His Word can be an authority for us. Maybe for you, it's this passage that, that middle part on selling your possessions and that radical generosity. Maybe some of you looked at this and you thought, no, that's socialism. (laughs) Or maybe you just really like your stuff like me, and that's hard to let go, right? I mean, and maybe God wants to grow us. Maybe the radical love that we see that the people of God have to everybody, uh, maybe that challenges us. We're going to have to go way out of our way to love people on the margins, to be a part of bringing God's justice into the world, and that's not always going to be easy. Or maybe, maybe it's the Holy Spirit stuff. Maybe the Holy Spirit stuff is just a little too much for you, and you're afraid that I'm going to stand up here and tell you, you have to be a tongue-speaking Pentecostal to do this right. Well, the good news, you don't have to be a tongue-speaking Pentecostal to, to follow Jesus. Jesus. I do think, though, I think the Scriptures would call us to be, a, we have to be a little more open to the ways the Holy Spirit might want to work in mysterious and supernatural ways. That's both in my own life and in the community around us. And that's, that's still hard for us, even if we don't think we're trying to be tongue-speaking Pentecostals. And no offense, if there's any tongue-speaking Pentecostals here, I'm, I want to follow Jesus with you also, um, my point is, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And for each of us, that's going to look a little different. I'm going to give you some time to reflect on where, where God's leading you out of your comfort zone at the end here. Uh, but there are going to be places where we have to get out of our comfort zone. It's just like if you've ever tried to exercise, um, you know that you're actually doing it right when you're sore the next day. Right? But if you exercise and you're not sore, you're, you're probably not growing, right? And that's the same with our faith. We're going to have to get outside our comfort zone. It's going to make us soar a little bit. That's okay. That's a part of the growing process. So there's a second part of, of living into this radically Jesus-oriented life. we got to get out of our comfort zone, but there's a second part, and it's really found in this first verse in the passage. See, that word devoted, I was looking into the Greek on this, and it's not just a word that is all about commitment. It's also a word that it... It basically it could be translated. Uh, they continued on in these practices. They persevered. It's a word that indicates that um, there was a long term commitment. And I think this is another. This is the other part of the process of of having that intentional faith. Is we can't just be willing to get out of our comfort zone for uh, a short amount of time and then just kind of go back to life as normal. I know, you know Chris would tell you, like, this is a challenge on a mission trip with any, um, with any middle schoolers and high schoolers, but frankly, for all of us adults, we struggle with the same thing. You could put yourselves out there for three or four days for Jesus, but what are you going to do when you get back on days five, six, seven, eight, and then months down the road? And any of you guys that have gone on our youth mission trips, you're like nodding along with me. You're like, yep, that's so true. I was so willing to sleep in that bunk bed with the hard mattress for four days, but that's it. But the truth is, a part of our living into the radically Jesus-oriented life is we have to figure out how can we, day after day after day after day, put ourselves in the way of God's grace and continue on in the journey. We don't achieve Christian maturity in a short amount of time. It's the lifelong, it takes years and years and years of letting God work in our life slowly in a little bit at a time. And I think that might be one of the most radical things in this whole passage, actually. That we would persevere in the intentional faith that we've talked about. That we would not just hear a sermon series or a sermon or read something in Scripture and and go, hmm, yeah, that sounds great. And then put it away and not think about it again for a week or a month or a year. But we would always be asking that question, how can I incorporate this into my life? And how can I persevere in that for the long run? there's obstacles that each of us face, and I want to just name two of those right now. Uh, One of the obstacles to living a radically Jesus-oriented life is that sometimes I think we worry a little too much about what other people think. Because we don't want to be like whoever it was that came into your mind when I first asked you, have you ever met a radical? And like half of you thought about a crazy uncle you have or something, and you're like, oh, no. I think we're afraid that we might be misunderstood, that people might not like us, if we really turn into people that are radically Jesus-oriented. I had a friend growing up named Ashley, and when we were freshmen in high school, uh, she began to live out her faith in what I thought was some really radical ways. She started bringing her Bible to school back before the version Bible app and smartphones, Um, she started reading her Bible at school and she started sometimes wanting to talk to people about her faith at school. And so I did what what any immature ninth grade boy would do. I called her names and made fun of her. I think I called her a Bible thumper and a Jesus freak. And she was still my friend, but I was gonna make fun of her and shame her for that. When I uh, had an encounter with Jesus that really turned my life upside down and I started to really want to know Jesus, Um, not just because my parents brought me to church growing up, but because I was starting to make the faith my own. I was looking around at my friend group and people I knew, how am I going to follow Jesus in high school? I had this sense that God wanted me to live differently, but I did not know what that really would look like at that point. I remember looking at Ashley and thinking, hmm, she seems to be doing this. So I had to go to Ashley, and I had to apologize, and I had to say, Ashley, I'm really sorry I called you names. I'm really sorry I made fun of you for uh, bringing your Bible to school. Can you help me figure out how to read the Bible? You know what Ashley did? She helped me figure it out. She was a model for me. And for me, what I had to realize is the more I fell in love with Jesus... And the more I got to encounter Jesus working in my life, the less I cared about other people misunderstanding me. I think sometimes we need to take a courageous step closer to Jesus so we can let Jesus change how we're thinking about ourselves and worrying about what others might think. There's another part of uh, another obstacle I want to tell you about, though. I think sometimes we don't keep growing because we just don't know how good it can get. Maybe we reach a plateau in our faith and we think, no, that's, that's it, I've arrived. That, that's about as, as far as I need to go. I mean, surely, what, what could be better than this? And C.S. Lewis has this great quote from a book called The Weight of Glory. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Maybe we've settled for a certain amount of Jesus in our life because we just don't know that it can be even so much better. And a part of, like, when I read the scriptures, part of it is so I can continue to see a vision for what that so much better can be like. When I spend time around my church community, it's partly so I can look at other people's lives and I can catch that vision for, oh, my gosh, it can be so much better. That's what we can do for one another. And so I want to I invite you to think about this right now. I'm going to invite Patrick uh, back up to He's going to play some music. We're going to spend uh, just a moment in prayer. And, and so now, if you have this intentional faith card, now it's time to get it out. If you brought a pen or a pencil or something, you can, you can use that to write on it. And if you didn't do that, you probably have a phone that has a keyboard or something. You can write notes to yourself. And what we're going to do right now is we have these questions. And I, I think thinking through these questions, really my hope is that we would hear from God and be able to have God show us what are some next steps We've done this sermon series, but we don't just want to end and say, all right, I'll just move on to the next thing. We want to have some intentional faith practices that lead us to continue in the radically Jesus-oriented life. Amen? So get this out, and I invite you to just spend some time letting God speak into your life. It's going to be different for every person. I want to encourage you to think about and to pray into right now. Where is Jesus calling you out of your comfort zone? Maybe it was something in the passage that really stood out to you, maybe something that you wish didn't stand out to you, but maybe it's something entirely different that God has been working on in your life. Go ahead and acknowledge that. Jesus, this is a place I think you're trying to grow me. What's stopping you? What's getting in the way? Is there a competing commitment that is stopping you from committing more fully to Christ? then what practices is God calling you to take up so that you can persevere? So that you can keep on? Maybe some of those that we've gone over, maybe some other ones. Take a moment. Seek God's wisdom in this right now for your life. we thank you for inviting us close to you and for that invitation to continue to be open no matter what we do on our end, your grace is always there for us. So I pray right now that you would move in us to draw us into you deeper into this walk of faith. God, that we would continue to learn to love you more than we love anything else that you would continue to move us out of our comfort zone so we can grow. And God, I pray that you would bind us together as a church community to, to be a picture of your kingdom of God on earth, that we would be those that are here to bless others in your name, to reach out to the world and offer a picture of the new life that you give. God, make that true in our lives so that we can share that new life with others pray this all in Jesus name Amen